Good morning. I'm Aya Wimala, and today is Friday, April the 30th, last day of April. And then as we move into May, the whole month of May uh, is becoming Bisaka, the Bisak celebration, or we call it Buddha Day when it's celebrated on one day. But with everything being online for most places around the world, we can spread it out and make it extend for a, a kind of a celebration all month with wonderful teachings and acts of generosity. And uh, if we were doing it in person in Woodstock, we have a parade and we have speakers and other temples join us. And it's a good, good time to meet friends and see people you haven't seen in a long time. But the teachings will be the focus this year, and it will be, we have, I think Blue Lotus has a beautiful schedule, uh, starting with Bhante Sujata tomorrow and going all the way through the month with guest speakers. Every Saturday, there'll be someone talking about uh, the life of the Buddha, the impact of the Buddha, the, you know, the young life, the uh, period of enlightenment, and uh, growing older, so it's going to be really uh, a love, I think, a beautiful way to celebrate. Visak is celebrating the birth of the Buddha and his enlightenment, and then his death, which is called Padinibbana, which is the final, his final enlightenment. Uh, it just means he's he's his death is passing. So it's going to be, uh, I think, really lovely that way because the teachings, if you're, whether you're new to Buddhism and you'd like to understand more about the life of the Buddha, um, I think it's a, a beautiful way, to, or you've been a Buddhist for a long, long time, you'll appreciate the teachers and the different monks speaking or, or uh, Monks you probably have met or heard at Blue Lotus before, and it will be really lovely. So that's the that's the month of May, and if you're doing things online, I'm sure you can see all kinds of different programs and things going on that uh, are special because of Visak. Today I wanted to just go back to the way of the Bodhisattva by Shantidewa. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you like the teachings of Pema Chodron, I think, I think she's someone, she emphasizes Bodhicitta, or that awakening heart. And I think she is, uh, kind of a modern day representative of the, of Shantidewa's teachings too. So he has a whole section, and I'm just opening it. I have, we've, I've read a lot to you from patience. So here's a whole section on vigilant introspection. Let's see. Well, let's let's begin with one. Vigilant introspection might seem. I'm not sure. We might have to work up to that. 
because for all of these, these aren't just things we read about and then wish we had. These qualities all have to be, uh, we have to train in them. We have to develop them uh, with vigilance and uh, paying attention, you know, paying attention to our effort, paying attention to our own actions and our thoughts and our speech. So we may, we'll get to, to vigilance. But this is the first chapter, the first section, is the excellence of bodhicitta. So why is this an important quality to develop? And it's homage to all Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. Section 1. To those who go in bliss, the Dharmakaya, they possess, and all their heirs. To all those world worthy of respect, I reverently bow. According to the scriptures, I shall now in brief describe the practice of the Bodhisattva disciple. Here I shall say nothing that has not been said before, and in the art of prosody I have no skill. I therefore have no thought that, that, might, that this might be of benefit to others. I write it only to habituate my mind. My faith will thus be strengthened for a little while, that I might grow accustomed to this virtuous way. But others who now chance upon my words may profit also, equal to myself in fortune. So hard to find the ease and wealth whereby the aims of beings may be gained. If now I fail to turn it to my profit, how could such a chance be mine again? Just as on a dark night black with clouds, the sudden lightning glares and all is clearly shown, likewise rarely through the Buddha's power, virtuous thoughts rise, brief and transient in the world. Virtue thus is weak and always evil, is of great and overwhelming strength. Except for perfect bodhicitta, what other virtue is there that can lay it low? For many aeons, deeply pondering, the mighty sages saw its benefits, whereby unnumbered multitudes are brought with ease to supreme joy. Those who wish to crush the many sorrows of existence, who wish to quell the pain of living beings, who wish to have experience of a myriad joys, should never turn away from bodhicitta. Should bodhicitta come to birth in those who suffer, chained in prisons of samsara, in that instant they are called the children of the Blessed One revered by the world, by gods, and humankind. For like the supreme substance of the alchemist, it takes our impure flesh and makes of it the body of a Buddha, jewel beyond all price. Such is bodhicitta. Let us grasp it firmly. Since the boundless wisdom of the only God of beings perfectly examined and perceived its priceless worth, those who wish to leave this state of wandering should hold well to this precious bodhicitta. 
All other virtues, like the plantain tree, produce their fruit, but then their force is spent. Alone, the marvelous tree of bodhicitta constantly bears fruit and grows unceasingly. As though they pass through perils guarded by a hero, even those weighed down with dreadful wickedness will instantly be freed through having bodhicitta. Why do those who fear their sins not have recourse to it? Just as by the fire that will destroy the world, great sins are surely and at once consumed by it, its benefits are thus unbounded. As the wise and loving Lord explained to Sudana, bodhicitta, the awakened mind, is known in brief to have two aspects. First, aspiring bodhicitta in intention, then active bodhicitta, practical engagement. As corresponding to the wish to go and then to setting out, the wish should understand respectively the difference that divides these two. From bodhicitta in intention, great results arrive for, arise for those still turning in the wheel of life, and that's samsara, that wheel of life. Yet merit does not rise from it in ceaseless streams, as in the case with active bodhicitta. For when with irreversible intent the mind embraces bodhicitta, willing to set free the endless multitudes of being, in that instant, from that moment on, a great and unremitting stream, a strength of wholesome merit, even during sleep and inattention, rises equal to the vastness of the sky. This the Tathagata, Tathagata, and that's the Buddha, in the Sutra, Subahu requested, said with reasoned argument for those inclined to lesser paths, if with kindly generosity one merely has the wish to soothe the aching heads of other beings, such merit knows no bounds. No need to speak then of the wish to drive away the endless pain of each and every living being, bringing them unbounded excellence. Could our father or our mother ever have so generous, generous a wish? Do the very gods, the rishis, even Brahma, harbor such benevolence as this? For in the past they never, even in their dreams, wish something like this even for themselves. How could they do so for another's sake? The aim to bring about the benefit of beings, a benefit that others wish not even for themselves, the noble jewel-like state of mind arises truly wondrous, never seen before. The pain-dispelling draft, this cause of joy for those who wander through the world, this precious attitude, this jewel of mind, how shall we calculate its merit? If the simple thought is to be of help to others, exceeds in worth, in worth the worship of the Buddhas. What need is there to speak of actual deeds that bring about the will and benefit of beings?
For beings long to free themselves from misery, but misery itself they follow and pursue. They long for joy, but in their ignorance destroy it, as they would their foe. But those who fill with bliss all beings destitute of joy, who cut all pain and suffering away from those weighed down with misery, who drive away the darkness of their ignorance, what virtue could be matched with theirs? What friend could be compared to them? What merit is there similar to this? If someone who returns a favor is deserving of some praise, why need we speak of bodhisattvas, those who do good even unsolicited? People praise as virtuous donors those who with contempt support a few with plain and ordinary food, a moment's gift that feeds for only half a day. What need is there to speak of those who long bestow on countless multitudes the peerless joy of blissful Buddhahood, the ultimate fulfillment of their hopes? All those who harbor evil in their minds against such lords of generosity, the Buddha's heirs, will stay in the hell realms, the mighty sage has said, for ages equal to the moments of their malice. But joyous and devoted thoughts will yield abundant fruits in greater strength. Even in great trouble, bodhisattvas never bring forth wrong. Their virtues naturally increase. To them in whom this precious jewel of mind is born, to them I bow. I go for refuge to those springs of happiness who bring their very enemies to perfect bliss. And that's the first section. And remember, he was writing in the 8th century is when he lived. So uh, it's beautiful. The, the excellence of bodhicitta, the excellence of an awakened heart, the whole purpose and the purpose of the mission or the the goal of a bodhisattva is to save all beings, to help lift them, to help to have the compassion to lift them out of this world of endless cycling over and over again. So bodhicitta is that quality that we that we work for to awaken our hearts, and that's our heart mind. Chitta is a heart mind combination in the Buddhist teachings. So, an awakened heart. That's a beautiful thing to even think about, isn't it? So, even the at first, so first comes the intention and then comes the action. So, it's such a beautiful quality that having the intention is a, can be a beautiful, um, just a beautiful quality to, to develop. See if, see if, uh, Think about those verses and think about what you know about bodhicitta and that awakened heart. And just think about whether that's something that appeals to you. But when I first heard of the concept of a bodhisattva long before I ordained, um, I thought when I, when I first, very first became a Buddhist, um, 
I thought, who would want to do that? Who would want to to uh, stay around and help and, and stay around and keep coming back to this world until every being, they had helped every being get out of that wandering world. And uh, the first person I knew, who, and this is in the Tibetan tradition, the first person I knew who was going to take the Bodhisattva vows, that just seemed amazing to me that someone would uh, want to do that. I was I was all for saving myself, but I just wasn't convinced that uh, there was a lot of value in coming around and uh, sticking around to help everyone else. So, uh, and I've watched my thinking about that change. I think the quality of that awakened heart is uh, is so beautiful, and it's just beautiful to think about. And. Uh, so I'm working on it too. I'm working on it. But I love the readings and Shanti Dewa is um, such a his his he's such a beautiful teacher. So why don't we practice? Uh, we have about ten minutes and you can if you like you can let that quality of bodhicitta just kind of you know, feel it, see if it resonates with you, see if it's uh, might be something you just have more questions about, which is fine. But uh, just m- maybe hold that. That could be the focus of your attention. Or you could just stay with your breath and just find tranquility and calm this morning. There's so much going on in the world. Oh, hi, Maggie. There's so much these days going on in the world with what's going on in India. Ah, which is uh, just every day the tragedy seems to become bigger and the, the, the uh, despair worse. And then in Israel, for a religious ceremony, to have people trampling each other and dying, uh, it's, this is, the, the news isn't good out there in the world, and actually it rarely is, right? So we that having that... Uh, quality of bodhicitta seems more and more valuable just as we see things going on in the world that um, if it touches our heart and we never know and don't know what to do, developing that intention to have bodhicitta, that intention to have an awakened heart is a good place to start. So, Being a calm, tranquil person in the world is a benefit to not only ourselves, but to everyone around us. So, just begin by letting your body feel awake and lifted. No matter what posture you're in, it's perfectly okay to be uh, on your back or walking or sitting or sitting on the floor, sitting in a chair. To want your body to feel awake and attentive. So let your posture help with that. And then your body will begin to know 
that you're moving into that posture. The body may will eventually begin to uh, work with you. So you can close your eyes if you can. Or you can leave them open. What's, that's your choice. And be aware of the body breathing. Already that's something we can be grateful for. Yes, Veronica, you can just uh, just lightly focus on your breath. That's really the that's how we always begin. And let it be a light focus because something else may pull your attention away. I remember, and it always is helpful, to imagine your focus is like that little, a little butterfly kind of resting on the tip of your nose. So it's very light. And we began by, so even concentration is maybe a little bit too much focus. Um, But just let your attention be like that butterfly. So we know that even a slight disturbance can cause that butterfly to fly away. So we'll notice if something else grabs our attention. At first we may be always easily distracted. And we'll notice it because we notice that butterfly has flown off. But then that awareness is also then showing us how easily our mind becomes distracted. How we become distracted by sound or uh, visual distractions. We may be distracted by um, becoming too cold or too hot, contact with our body. So if we have light attention on our breath, we're learning to just let those other distractions come and go. Not letting them disturb us, but just seeing them as part of the, seeing them as part of the environment. They're just part of the background. So the entire process of meditation is being with our breath. 
This calms our mind, creates tranquility, It allows us to then become aware of the distractions we create, how we react to things. We start learning about ourselves just by finding that calm that staying with our breath can bring us. We can be, become aware of our defilements. We see the, the judgments that we create, say if we hear a loud noise outside. Our tendency may be to be critical of it because it disturbs our practice. We see that, then we can begin to be aware that that's just the nature of this world. There's no ideal place to meditate where everything is peace and quiet. And even pleasant things can distract us. As we develop from this simple process of being with our breath, we stay with our breath because when we do, we are in the present moment. We're not in the past or the future. We are with the here and now. But this is leading to a calm, stable mind. So as we're learning to get that stable, tranquil mind, we just let our thoughts come and go. We don't feed those thoughts with our attention. We see the thoughts arise, and without being fed by us, without us engaging with those thoughts, They eventually get tired and they go away. 
when we do discover our mind has gone off and chased after thought, or become distracted by something else, we can make a choice to bring it back gently but firmly. Just keep, just come back to our breath. All of the things that distract us can become our teachers. I'll finish the meditation. We can send merit and then I'll answer a couple of questions. May the actions that we take towards the good, towards understanding ourselves, towards being more peaceful, be of benefit to all beings everywhere. I noticed a question, which is really a good question. Do negative thoughts come on their own or do I make them come to me? Well, that's a good question. Uh, when we're watching our mind and we see those negative thoughts, we can usually see that they are a habit pattern. We begin to see that particular, particular negative thoughts uh, or thoughts of maybe anger or any kind of negative emotion, they arise and they have become a pattern. And so we can, we can watch them at this stage if you're in an early stage of meditation. 
And sometimes just being aware of them, you may see that so many of your thoughts are negative or so many of your thoughts are um, whatever emotion that you might feel that you carry around with you. And once they become habits, that's the pattern of your mind. And you're not, you're not, they're coming on their own because the mind then has that that easy route to follow, and that's how your mind begins just uh, seeing things. That becomes your viewpoint. That's your perception of things. And that's something that's, when we see that, that begins the practice of us changing that. Because if we see it in our practice and we can just be aware some, uh, sometimes if you begin to see those patterns, the next thing you would do is to just maybe make a mental note, uh, just give it a name, uh, negative, negative, and just when the thoughts come up, you might just give them a little label. Uh, but wait until you can do that without getting sidetracked by thinking about them. Why are they negative? Where did it come from? What you want to do is just be aware of them and not feed them. And if you become aware of it in your meditation and you don't feed them because your mind is tranquil and calm and you're just letting them go, you see that thought, you just let it go for the then. Uh, then when you're not meditating, you can begin to do that. Then you'll see it. Maybe be, right before you say something, you'll think, oh, that's coming from that negative thought habit I have. And then you can just be more and more aware of them. What you want is the awareness. And then you can work with it. And sometimes the awareness is the very first tool to see that pattern go away. If they're not aware of it, we'll just continue. Our mind has found that is one of the path pathways it can take. And then we begin to just come from that place without any realization that that's what we're doing. So being aware of those negative thoughts is the first, that's the beginning of getting rid of them. Then your intention and your action needs to follow. So that's wonderful. Thank you for that great question. So I've gone beyond my time. Thank you so much, and I'll see you Sunday. I might have a guest, or we might go outside. So see you then. Thank you for being part of my practice. <laughs>